Turn your Bible please to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1 is where we are this morning. We're continuing our series in Ruth. We kick-started it last week with some bad choices that Elimelech and his family had made. And we're continuing the study. Ruth chapter 1 verses 6 through 18 is where we will be. Ruth chapter 1, 6 through 18 Remember, Elimelech has died. His sons have died. Now we come to the part in the story where Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, are trying to decide what to do. Do they stay in Moab? Do they go back to the homeland of Naomi in Bethlehem? What is the choice? What is the decision? Ruth chapter 1, verse 6. The Bible says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore, she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband." So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. This is God's word. The title of the message this morning is, I'm Coming with you. I'm coming with you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer now this morning. Father, we thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for your word. We pray that you would bless the message and the sermon. Please have your hand upon the service. Fill me with your spirit and help me to preach your word accurately this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but I am a Lord of the Rings fanatic. I like the books, I've read the books, I've seen the movies, and some of you that uh, are familiar with them would know that the story of the Lord of the Rings is basically a young boy, a man actually, is tasked with taking a ring from his hometown, and in order to defeat the forces of evil, he's charged with traveling across the country of Middle-earth and dropping the ring into a volcano. And in doing so, he would destroy the forces of evil that created the ring. The young man's name is Frodo, Frodo Baggins, and he takes the ring and he takes a group of his friends with him to guide him along this journey. And 
part way along the journey, they have to make a decision. Do we go through this mine as a shortcut, or do we take the long way around? The mine was dangerous, but there could be people in there that could help us to get through. There's a very good possibility that we would do well and save a lot of time going through this mine. And so Frodo makes the decision uh, against the better advice of those that are with him to go through the mine. And they make it through the mine. They, they go inside. They, they find, though, instead of being greeted by the people that live there and the and, the, and the, uh, the fellowship and the friendship that they thought would find them there, they are greeted with a bunch of skeletons. There are skeletons everywhere strewn about the mine because it has been a long time since anybody has lived in the mine. And as soon as they come in and the doors are shut behind them and they discover that there are skeletons in the mine, the friend that Frodo had with him says to him, we should never have come here. And we find that in this text this morning, Naomi finds herself in much the same situation. We never should have come here. They never should have been in Moab. They never should have made the decision to come to Moab. They never should have made the choice to forsake the promised land of Israel and to go into a far country because there was food there. They should have trusted the Lord to provide for his children. And instead, they find themselves broken, without her husband, without her sons, and poor and destitute. That is where we find Naomi. And, and in the verses that we read this morning, we find that Naomi chooses to return to Bethlehem. She chooses to turn her life around, and she also tells her daughters-in-law to stay where they were. A person, a daughter of Israel, rather than having her daughters-in-law come with her in hopes of finding food in the land that the Lord has promised to bless, tells her daughters to go and stay in the pagan land. What is what we are supposed to take away from this passage I think it's clear that you should return to God. Naomi made the proper decision there. You should return to God, but you should not return to your old ways either. Naomi should have brought her daughters-in-law back with her to Bethlehem. Returning to God is always the right choice. And late as though it was, Naomi makes the right choice here, but her bitterness gets the better of her. And we ought to look at three ways now that returning to God affects us and our families. You may make the choice to return to God, but I want us to look this morning at the three ways that that affects both yourself and also the people around you. The first way I see is this. The, number one is God's goodness should bring you to repentance. God's goodness should bring you to repentance. Look at verse number six, if you would, with me. It says this, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. What prompted Naomi to return to Bethlehem? 
It wasn't God's judgment upon her. It wasn't a punishment or a chastisement or a chastening from the Lord. It wasn't uh, an intense hardship necessarily. It wasn't uh, the Lord coming down from heaven and speaking to her audibly. No, what prompted Naomi to return to Bethlehem? It was that she heard that the Lord had provided bread to Israel. You see, the Lord always initiates the relationship. The Lord is calling Naomi to go back to the promised land. The, the Bible says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? It wasn't necessarily the, the, the misery that Naomi had found in Moab that prompted her to return to Bethlehem. It was the fact that she heard that God has now opened the windows of heaven again and has blessed his people again. God didn't have to do that. We are given no indication in the scripture that tells us why God chose to let the famine be over at this point. It could have been because Israel repented, but it could also be that God is just a good God. God's goodness should bring you to repentance, but God initiates this, and we see that we must also respond to this. Naomi responds to this in verse number seven by doing this. Therefore, she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. You know, there is a place for God's judgment. There is a place for the punishment of wrongdoing. There is a chastisement of God's children, and God will no, make no mistake about this. He will bring ultimate judgment on all of those wrongdoers who do not accept his gift of salvation at the end of the ages. But make no mistake that he is withholding that judgment because he is good. God is withholding judgment from both Jerusalem and Israel and also the Moabite people in this passage because he is a good God. Would God bring judgment upon the Moabite people eventually? Yes, he would. But in his goodness, as we saw in Romans chapter 2, it is not just the goodness of the blessing of God that brings you to repentance. It is the withholding of judgment from God that brings you to repentance. God is a good God, and because he is a good God, we ought to respond to his goodness. God holds out his hand, but you've got to take it. He holds out his hand to Naomi. He says, look, I have blessed the land of Israel with bread. Again, will you return to where you belong? And so I ask you this morning, will you return? Maybe it's been too long since you've been in the land of Moab. You've dwelled there too long. You never should have come there in the first place, but God does not leave you there for you to die. He asks you, he begs you, he pleads with you, will you not return to the land from where you were called? We respond. You know, Holocaust Remembrance Day was actually yesterday, and I, I read a story of an interview with a Holocaust survivor. There, there was a, an article written by the grandchild of a Holocaust survivor, and she writes this. You see, they were our friends, my grandmother continued gently, oblivious to my rising horror. They were our neighbors. We had known them all our lives. We did not think they would ever hurt us. But they were wrong. They were horribly, fatally wrong because they had grown comfortable complacent where they lived, 
And because they had forgotten that under the genial faces of their neighbors and friends simmered the ancient evil of otherness, the hatred lurked just underneath the civilized surface. They did not heed the warnings to get out. They could have escaped Germany before the Holocaust happened, but they chose to stay. And in much the same way, too many of us, too many people in the church today are choosing to remain in Moab. It's comfortable in Moab. The people of Moab don't hurt us. We have everything that we need in this foreign land. Why should we return to you, God? Why should we attempt to return and draw closer to God? The time is coming, my friend, where the judgment of the Lord is going to come. It is going to fall. And if you do not know God, if you have never made the decision to make the Lord God your personal Savior, the time is coming. I regret to say to you today that your judgment will be here before you know it. Return from Moab. God's goodness ought to compel us to return. But not only should God's goodness bring you to repentance, but God's people should compel you to follow him. This next point is directed at both believers and unbelievers this morning. God's grace, uh, I'm sorry, God's uh, people should compel you to follow him. Because of their close relationship with Naomi, Orpah and Ruth uh, both decided that they would like to stick together and go back to Bethlehem with her. Naomi gives four excuses to Orpah why she should not come back with her. These are the excuses of a bitter lady that is trying to just get away from everybody. She's having a gigantic pity party for herself. And she is separating herself or attempting to separate from herself the people that matter the most to her. Let's look at her four excuses. The first excuse that she gives is that she would have refuge, Orpah would have refuge in her mother's house. In verse number eight, she says, and Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each to her mother's house. It is likely that in the polygamous culture of Moab that uh, the man of the house would live in a house uh, with his wife, but then all of his other wives would live in their own other little houses around him. And Naomi was uh, telling Orpah, look, you can return to the house of your father and specifically the house of your mother. You can return, find rest, you can have a roof over your head. But she also makes the excuse that she might get another husband if she goes back to her old life. Look at verse number nine. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Well, their, their husbands are dead at this point. What was Naomi referring to? Uh, Naomi is referring to the fact that because Ruth and Orpah were still of a marriageable age, if they go and return to Moab, if they go and return to their mother's house, there's a chance that another Moabite man would marry them. There's a chance that they could go find rest in the house of their new husband. Uh, this would make common sense to us, of course. You have a widow that goes back to her family's household. She gets her affairs in orders, and she may have another chance at another relationship. But Naomi also gives a third excuse, and it is this, I can't give you anymore. I have nothing else to offer you. Look at verse 11. Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, 
if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Naomi is making a, a, a little bit of a ridiculous argument. She says that even if I were to get married today and I were to conceive two sons tonight, would you wait the years that it would take for them to marry you? It would be at least 15 or 20 years before they would be able to marry you. And by that time, you may not be able to bear children anyway. Naomi says to her daughters-in-law, I have nothing else to offer you. What a self-centered response. Christian, we offer nothing to those around us, but we do offer the gospel. We do offer the God of heaven to those around us. We may be nothing. We may be broken. We may have nothing materially to offer to those around us, but you can offer the gospel of Christ to those around you. Don't ever reject somebody from following you or don't ever reject somebody from being close to you because you think you have nothing to offer them. You do have something to offer somebody close to you. You have the gospel. You have the love of Christ. You have a church family that can come around them and be a family to these lost and dying people. You can always give something. Naomi is a very self-centered person at this point. She thinks to herself, I can't offer anything to these, to these daughters. I can't give anything else. There is nothing more for me to give to them. It is better for them to be away from me than to come back to Bethlehem, the house of God, with me. She's wrong. Orpah and Ruth would not be left without an empty source of income. They, they would not be left totally desolate in the land of Israel. They would be immigrants to be sure, but uh, Deuteronomy and Leviticus, God provides a system. He provides a rule for the sojourners and the strangers that are in the land of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 18 says this, he administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Leviticus chapter 9, verse 33. And if a stranger dwells with you in your land, you shall not mistreat him. The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You see, the theme of missions... I'm reading a book on missions right now in the Old Testament, and the theme of missions is not just a theme that's found in the New Testament. We as Christians are not just called to be missionaries to those right now. You see the theme of God's mission is found from the book of Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation. How, you may ask? Well, we just read in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, God has always used the nation of Israel to be a friend to the nations. He used the nation of Israel to judge the heathenness and the pagans around them, but he also provided rules for the nation of Israel to be a friend and a missionary to the pagan people around them. How was a Moabite woman supposed to make it in the land of Israel? Well, God had already provided a way for her to be welcomed in to the family by putting it right into the Mosaic law. Naomi can't give anything to Ruth herself, but she can offer the God of Israel, to them. Take heed, Christian, lest your bitterness prevent you from having other people join the family of God with you. The fourth excuse is this. 
she gives this excuse, the Lord has gone out against me. In verse number 13, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Naomi is bitter. The name Naomi means sweetness, and we'll see that Naomi uh, carries on her pity party next week in the verses 19 through 22, but you're beginning to get a glimpse of the type of person that Naomi has become. She has lived in the country of Moab for at least 10 years at this point. She's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. She's left with nothing. She's very poor. She believes that the Lord is against her, and we look at Naomi and we think to ourselves, well, no kidding, the Lord is against you. You made the wrong decision to go to Moab in the first place. The four excuses that Naomi gives Orpah and Ruth can be summarized in this way. If we were to summarize it, I've summarized it like this. If you go back to Moab, Ruth, and if you go back to Moab, Orpah, you'll have a roof over your head. You may secure another relationship. I have nothing else to give you anyways. And what's more is God will not give you anything else either. She tells her pagan daughters-in-law to run from the God of Israel. Oh, what a bitter refusal to welcome strangers back to her homeland. What a way to turn away the people that are the closest to you. The bitterness of Naomi would be enough to turn Orpah back to her family, and it would be enough to turn Orpah back to her gods. Look at verse number 15. She said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. May that never be said of us Christians. May it never be said of us that because of our actions, because of our decisions, because of our bitterness, because of the things that you are holding on to, this person that could have come into the family of God has decided that I don't want anything to do with that any longer. May that be a warning to us, church. May we always be welcoming. May we always be seeking to welcome strangers and lost people into God's family. May we always be about the business of our God to give the good news of the gospel to people. And Orpah turns back from following Naomi, and Naomi continues on to Bethlehem. There is some doubt about whether or not he actually said this, but uh, the Mahat Mahatma Gandhi is attributed to have said these words. He said this, and some of you may have heard this before. He said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. We find ourselves perhaps in Naomi's situation here, pushing everybody away because we think that God has it out for us, and we think to ourselves, I don't want anybody else to go through what I'm going through right now, so I'm going to push people away so that they're not going to follow God either. What a travesty. We see that God's goodness should bring you to repentance. God's people should compel you to follow him. But finally, we see this morning that God's grace will give you a new identity. God's grace will give you a new identity. Ruth's choice to go with Naomi was not a light choice. She wasn't just moving to a different state. 
She wasn't just moving across town. She couldn't come back to Moab anytime she wanted to. This choice was more than likely irreversible. This was a permanent decision that Ruth was making. Look at verse number 15. Uh, I'm sorry, 16. Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. Forever you will go, I will go. If you skip down to verse 18, it says, when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. <laughs> Naomi gives up. All right, Ruth, if you're coming with me, you come on, but I don't know if I can offer you anything in the land of Israel. You see, Ruth made a choice not based upon the bitterness of Naomi. Ruth made a choice based on what she knew of the God of Israel. Look at verse number 16. She says, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you, for wherever you go, I will go. What did Ruth decide? She decided that she had a new leader. She chose to follow Naomi wherever she went. She chose to have a new location. Verse number 16 or to turn back and follow, for wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your living place, your dwelling place will be my dwelling place, Naomi. She chose a new leader. She chose a new location. She chose a new people. Your people shall be my people. This is not a light thing either. She was essentially denouncing her Moabite citizenship and she was deciding to integrate and to assimilate into the people of Israel. She was deciding to take on a new culture. It's as if you decided to renounce your US citizenship and you decided you were going to move to Mexico City, get Mexican citizenship and live as a Mexican citizen for the rest of your life. There's no going back, folks. Once you renounce your U.S. citizenship, you're not going back. This was a permanent decision. But the key distinction between Ruth and Orpah is found in the next verse. I'm sorry, in the latter part of verse number 16, what does she say? Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. This is the key distinction. You see, Orpah said that she would return with Naomi to Naomi's people in verse number 10, but in verse number 16, Ruth says she will return with Naomi to be with Naomi's God. You see the difference? One made the decision to go to a culture, and the other made the decision to go back to one's God. A total religion change. What was the difference between the the two, Ruth and Orpah, Orpah was willing to follow Naomi, but Ruth was willing to follow God. Why? She chose to follow Yahweh. She didn't understand everything that entailed at this point, but through the faithfulness of God, she has seen the goodness of God seen through her father-in-law, through her mother-in-law, through her late husband. She has seen just enough of the faithfulness of the Lord Jehovah to, to make her think, I think I'm going to go back with Naomi. Naomi is bitter. Naomi has got a bad attitude about what the Lord has done in response to her choices to go to Moab. And yet Ruth sees Naomi and sees that Naomi, in spite of all of the hardships that the Lord has placed upon Naomi, Naomi is still willing to go back to her God. And, Naomi, and Ruth thinks to herself, there is something about this God that I need to know more about. Why would you go back to a God that has judgment against you? 
Why would you go back to a God that seems like he doesn't love you? Why would you go back to a God that seems like he doesn't care at all what you're going through? Ruth sees Naomi returning to God as bitter as she was, and she still thinks to herself, there's got to be something more to this God. There has got to be something more to Jehovah that I'm not seeing right now. And so she chooses in childlike faith, I'm going to return with Naomi, regardless of what the outcome will be. There is something different about this God that I cannot get from my Moabite gods. She chose a new leader. She chose a new location. She chose a new people. She chose a new God, and she chose a new life. Verse number 17, where you die, I will die. Ruth chose to be married. uh, She chose to be buried next to Naomi. Uh, Naomi at this point is much older than Ruth, of course. That would be logical. What was Ruth thinking? Ruth, you know that Naomi is going to die way before you, 20, 30, 40 years before you, and what will you do then? You're gone from your home country. You've taken on a new cultural and religious identity, and now the only link that you have to your new culture is dead. What will you do for the next 20 years in a land where nobody else knows you? Ruth's decision takes a lot more commitment than maybe we first saw on the surface, does it not? Ruth decided to be buried next to Naomi. You know, her husband and Naomi's husband were both buried back in Moab, far away from the land that God had given them. Ruth chose to be buried in a land apart from where her husband was buried, possibly never marrying again, And this one commentator puts it this way. His name is uh, Jason Driesbach. He says, unlike the case in the modern Western mindset, religious belief was rarely viewed as subject to personal choice and was instead a critical part of cultural identity. We see this uh, today. You see people converting to different religions as they will, right? You see people that, say, that, that, that convert to Catholicism or they convert to Islam or they convert to Mormonism or they convert to Buddhism, without losing any part of their cultural identity. That is the state of the American religious scene today. We have a smorgasbord of religions in the United States of America. You can choose whatever religion you want. Back in Ruth's day, it was not the case. Once you chose your religion, well, in fact, you really didn't choose it at all. It was really given to you as part of your culture. But Ruth's decision, I quote, was a departure from all the primary markers of her identity as a Moabite. The importance of burial in one's homeland is, uh, can be observed, for example, in the request of Jacob and Joseph to be buried in Canaan. Jacob and Joseph in the book of Genesis did not want to be buried in Egypt. They wanted to be buried in the promised land. Why? Because they viewed the promised land as their home. It was the land that God gave to them. It was part of their identity as being an Israelite. And the implication, I again quote, the implication of Ruth's intent to be buried in Israel was a change of homeland and an intent to change her national identity if possible. And so she would be forever aligned with the family of Naomi and the family of Elimelech. Ruth has changed everything about her. She's decided, I'm not going to go back to my family. I'm not going to go back to my gods. I'm going forward to the God of Israel. God's grace will give you a new 
identity. Has he given you a new identity today? Have you made his grace personal in your life? Have you taken the story of Ruth and have you seen the shadows of the redemption to come in the person of Jesus Christ? Have you seen what Jesus has done on the cross for you, offering you the same welcome, the same friendship, the same forgiveness, the same salvation that he offered to Ruth? Separated by only a few thousand years, he offers you the same gift today. Will you receive the gift of salvation and forgiveness from Jesus? Will you be welcomed into God's family as Ruth was here so many years ago? There's a young lady named Becky at the Summit Church in North Carolina uh, that got pregnant when she was 17 years old. She was terrified of what other people would think. This was several years ago. And so while she was a senior in high school, she secretly chose to have an abortion and take the life of her baby years and years and years ago. She lived with that guilt for nine years. She lived with what she had done for nine years, and every Mother's Day, she tells the story, every Mother's Day is still difficult. Every Mother's Day, she thinks what might have been. She thinks to herself, what a tragic decision that I made, but nine years later, she found Jesus, or maybe, perhaps, rather, we should say Jesus found her. She accepted Christ as her Savior there at the Summit Church in North Carolina, she accepted God's forgiveness into her life, and she realized that God can forgive the, the worst of sins imaginable that you can think of. Whatever you've done, wherever you've been, she realized Jesus' blood has covered everything, and she accepted Christ nine years later, and nine years to the day of the anniversary of her baby's death, she was baptized at the church that day. And so now she views the date of her baptism as not just the day that her baby died, but as the day where she decided she found new life in Christ. You don't have to stay in Moab. Becky realized that God is a God that can forgive you. He welcomes you and his family no matter what, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done. Don't stay in Moab, my friends. If you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, today would be a great day to do that. Today would be a wonderful day for you to accept what Jesus has done for you. And don't let the fear of uh, anything prevent you from accepting and following Jesus this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you for the story of Ruth, the decision that Ruth made that changed her life and that changed the course of history forever. And Lord, I cannot wait till we get on to more in the book of Ruth, Lord, but help us today to understand that you always welcome people into your family. That the decision to come with Naomi was not merely a decision to go with her, but was a decision to follow you. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts this morning. That those of us, Lord, that may be in Moab today would make the decision to come back to the Lord. And for those of us, Lord, that do not know you as our Savior, that they would make that decision today. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I don't know your story. I don't know everybody here as well as you do. You know yourself, but I 
would ask this morning that if there's anybody here that does not know that Jesus is your Savior, if you do not know that you are on your way to heaven, you do not know that your sins are forgiven, and you have questions about that, can I pray for you? I would love to pray for you. And if that's you this morning, would you raise your hand and let me know who you are? Anybody like that? Anybody like that at all? All right, let's pray once more. And as I'm praying, those of you that are here for baptism can begin to make your way to um, the room to change and, and we'll be baptizing soon after we sing this next song. But for right now, let's pray once more. Father, thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to cement this truth in our hearts that, we, that you always want us to return to you, that there is always bread to be found in the house of the Lord. We ask that you would forgive us of our shortcomings, of our sins and our uh, mistakes that we've made, Lord, and that we would draw near to you because you know, you say that you will draw near to us. Love you, Lord, and we pray that you would bless this final song. In Jesus' name, amen.